maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And the verse of the week, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruits. And we'll talk more about that when we go through the gospel. But if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 87. And I'll read, if you want to follow along, I'll read it. I don't know if you all have the same versions or not. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, all my springs are in you. And reading pastor's notes for the week in the congregation of prayer, Zion is a type of the New Testament church. Mount Zion was, locate, was the location of Jerusalem and the temple to which the peoples of all nations were to be drawn for the gift of salvation and new life. Psalm 87 prophesies of how the Lord loves his church, builds his church, and will draw sinners of all nations to, into her. The new birth of holy baptism makes of people of many tribes, nations, and languages one people in Christ. This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord writes their names on the ledger of the book of life. In the church there is deliverance from sin, death, and everlasting destruction. The church choirs and musicians sing and rejoice in the Lord's salvation in time and eternity. Um, the, tech, the psalmist begins, his foundation is in his holy mountain. And I, I do like looking at the original language to see what does this word mean because we translate it into English and sometimes it loses something. And this one actually just means foundation. Uh, how many of you have built a home or seen a home build or built a building? Seen... What do they have to lay 
a solid thing of. A solid foundation. If the foundation isn't solid, the house or the building is not solid. I mean, out here they're putting a solid base into the parking lot so that it will last a long time. And uh, so these things, a foundation. And so his foundation is in the holy mountains, uh, referring to uh, Jerusalem and the holy mountains that are surrounding it. But uh, this is where every, from everything comes from. The strength of our Lord is in the foundation he builds at Jerusalem. And uh, this is the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. And what's another name for Jacob? Israel. So, kind of saying the Lord has a favorite child. <laughs> you know, there's all these cities in, in Israel and in Judah. But there's one that has his name. And that's Jerusalem where the Holy Temple is built where the people come to gather and worship and offer their sacrifices. And then in verse 3, glorious, I'm going to say, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. You know that hymn from, uh, this is where it's based on glorious things. And the word glorious has kind of a, a different understanding, I think, for us. When I was looking it up, it says heavy, important meaty, and so important things, heavy things, deep things are spoken of Zion. Why is that? Because it's his place of worship where the sacrifices are offered, where Christ eventually would be offered on, the on Jerusalem for the sins of the people. So when it speaks of glorious things, it's speaking of the, the magnificent work of God that's going to be accomplished from this city. Because even though Jerusalem is thousands of miles from us, it impacts our lives here. And not only here, but all over the world. No matter what these protesters say about crosses and things like that. No, no, they don't know what they're talking about. And then in verse 4, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. What type of nations are these? What does... Where is Rahab from? Is she a Jew by birth? Is there, no, she's a foreigner. Jericho. Jericho. She's from Jericho. Babylon is not from, of Jerusalem or children of Israel. These are the Gentiles. And so here the implication is that even the Gentiles will be drawn to Jerusalem. Even though we're not descendants of Abraham. Maybe some of you are. You know, of that, I don't know. But even though we are all tied to Jerusalem, that is where our salvation has been accomplished and where our new birth in Christ has its source. And then in verses 5, And of Zion, it will be said, This one and that one were born, and this is not, but in her. And there's a significant, the, the, not just there, they were born there, but born in her. That there's a reference to birth. You know, it's an imagery of birth, you know, the physical birth, when you speak of her and being born. Um, and the Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples. What might this be an image of for us now? Where's your name recorded, Verla? In baptism, your name was recorded in the book of life as one who was born in Christ, given that new life. And so here, uh, the importance 
uh, to being connected to Zion. We don't want to step away and say, oh, that's over there. No, we are in Zion. We have been born. We have been brought, given new life in Zion. And so these things, and the singers rejoice. We rejoice that we have been given new life uh, in Christ. Any questions on Psalm 87? Joseph's going to do my part this week. So if you have questions, raise your hands. Raise them high enough so he can see them. Uh, and also, any questions? Okay, let us pray. O oh Lord, we rejoice in the gift of your holy Christian church, into which you have drawn people of every tribe and nation to be born in her through water and the word. Pour forth your grace upon us, that we may ever sing your praises. For you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, and you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, if, uh, for now, let's turn to um, uh, 1 Jeremiah. This is, we're going to take a look at the text. The gospel is very short, <laughs> so we'll have a little more time to get into the... But I'm amazed sometimes. I read the text this week, Jeremiah, and there's something, oh yeah, I, I kind of get that. And there's a portion I didn't get, and as I was reading this morning, it's like, oh, I know what this means. Or I have some application of it. And so I think, oh, okay, so we'll make sure we get to that. But Jeremiah chapter 23. And while you're turning to that, I'll read uh, the notes from last week's congregation prayer. Jeremiah's warning about false shepherds is a warning directed against the believer's unbelieving nature. Our old Adam does not want to hear the call to repentance. He wants to hear the message that all is well and that God is pleased with him. The proper preaching of the word of God always involves the crucifying of our flesh. Only then will we be able to receive the truly sweet and life-giving words of the gospel. So, Jeremiah. Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of of the prophets who prophesy to you, they make you worthless. And I think this is very significant. What does it mean to be worthless? Unworthy, okay. What do you do with things that are worthless? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you throw them. So, Wally, just make sure your wife knows you're not worthless. <laughs> and well, you know that we're not thrown away, but yeah, just you throw away the worthless. You get, so dismiss you, and, and so the, there's a very strong word here that the prophet uses. These false prophets make you worthless, and this is important to know as we deal with the uh, look at what's happening in the church bodies in America. The acceptance of false doctrine, the acceptance of oh, doesn't matter what your sexuality is, it doesn't matter, we'll do whatever you want. What is the church doing to these people? They're making them of no worth. They're denying everything that God created them to be. God created us men and women. That's what he created us to be. And so when they take away all these things uh, from us, uh, they make us worthless. And so that's really what's going on uh, 
in the churches. And this has been highlighted a lot in the last few months as you've seen some of the churches and how they're reacting to the uh, closure notices from uh, the government and all. So they speak a vision of their own heart, not with the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord says you shall have peace. So here, someone despises the Lord and the prophet goes, peace, brother. You think uh, the people that are not coming to church are rejecting the faith. And you know, I just, that's all in my heart. And the, and the preacher goes, that's okay. We know what's in your heart. It's fine. This is not, that's not good. When someone is not gathering together, what must they hear? The law. That we are called. And the Spirit gathers us as, as children of God. And so these uh, false prophets, they speak from their own. They want to make people like them. Uh, what was the pa- pastor had a challenge last week? Uh, find the, uh, some popular prophets in the Old Testament. Remember that? I think it was last week he mentioned it. Popular. Yeah, ones that are not persecuted. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of ones that are popular. They're just false. <laughs> uh, if you want to go true prophets that are popular, then that's a different thing. But then he goes here. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart. This is. Three, what does your heart tell you you should do? You know, and if your heart tells you, it's fine. You know, dandy. Wally's heart, well, we can forget about that. But, you know, how often do you hear that in in our country today? Oh, my heart tells me I need to do this. I hear it often. Well, they use the word feel, but but my heart's telling me. And so their heart's telling me, uh, oh, I need to divorce my spouse. My heart's telling me that. What, 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 your heart? No, no, no. And then the, the false prophets say, no evil shall come upon you. I mean, that's all good. No. You need to test the spirits and to, and to find out where the sin is and to be brought to repentance. And so this is what's, and I see, you know, Jeremiah is talking about what's going on in Jerusalem. It's going on in our nation today. It has been ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury. That's judgment. A violent whirlwind. I remember Jeremiah, the witness of Jerusalem is falling. People are being led off into captivity. Uh, Jerusalem is being destroyed. Uh, This is the whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. And this is the passage that just kind of went, boop, went to the scribes. Okay, the Lord's anger will never turn back, and it says, until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. And then it adds, in the latter days. Now, this is what, in the, where are the, when are the latter days? Now, you know, and basically since... Okay, so um, you will understand this perfectly. God's anger will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. What is the heart of God? It's desire. Love, and how was that expressed? 
the death of Christ. This is what, there is no forgiveness. There is no turning away the wrath of God until Christ's death on the cross. That's what this is speaking of. Until he, had, he the Lord, has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart, that is judgment, but also the heart of Christ is what? To receive the punishment and to his heart was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. So we are under the wrath of God until Christ comes and suffers and dies. So this is, I just, this is one of those like enlightening moments. Like, woo, you know, you know, it, it just wonders sometimes, you know, how come at certain th- times certain things just pop into your brain and, and, and enlighten you. But I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I like to think it's my own uh, intellectual prowess, but obviously I know that's not true, so let's go with the Holy Spirit. That's far more likely. But yet, the context of it brings to light. I think, you know, after preaching it, preparing it, sometime, and then certain things being said, all of a sudden things come to mind. Yes, Lola? Oh, we've got a microphone. Oh, got a microphone for you. Hello. Can you expound a little more on testing the spirits and knowing, you know, what God wants? Well, I mean, okay, uh, just a simple, I mean, some simple things, you know, I'm angry with you, and I am going to hit you. Yeah. Now, what does God's word say? Nope. No. So, to test the spirits, we need to go back to the word of God and see what God's word has to say. And so, if, if a prophet says, you know, some preacher says, uh, people who are of the same sex can get married... God's word said, no, man and woman. So we test the spirits. So that obviously, who's ever saying that is speaking of the devil, a false prophet. Uh, and uh, the same with regards to stealing. You know, look what's happening. Uh, uh, I read an article by some, some, someone called himself Lutheran, who was justifying uh, all these damages that were being done and saying reparations need to be made to the blacks and all these things. Hold, hold, no, 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 no. That's not what God's word says. He's saying that he's, he's lying because he's not speaking what God's word says. And so um, there is no cause to destroy anyone else's property. And especially in the United States, we have this wonderful thing called elections that we can vote and then change things. I don't need to go out and destroy someone else's property. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have the energy to do it anyway, but anyway. But, the, but to take care of it, you know, so when you test the spirits, it's always with the word of God. Not, you know, say, oh, I feel this way. And this, look how this is in our world. How much is it? Follow your heart. Follow your feelings. And you say, but the, your feelings say, uh, what's, this is what God's word says. And then what the, the choice then is to hear God's word or to follow their feelings. What they, you know, and that. So that's what test the spirits means, just to simply test. We use the word of God. And I think uh, pastors made it often... The catechism has a very clear explanation. If you have questions, it answers everything in life. Every question in life is answered there. Uh, so uh, that's... Then, um, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. I mean, they haven't, they just haven't heard me. They just started spouting. And if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words then they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Then he goes, am I a God near at hand? 
and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places? And this is where we can't hide from God. We can't. Adam and Eve tried it. He found them. He knew where they were. And he called them to repentance. So shall I not see, so I shall not see him, says the Lord. So shall I not see him? You know, so no, I'll see him. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Now notice where all lies come from is from the heart. Who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. So he's saying that they're doing exactly what their fathers did before him. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word. And Jeremiah adds this little phrase, a word, faith. And that's what the, the preacher, the pastor, is called to speak the word of God faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. So there is judgment in here, but there's the imagery also that there is hope. And there, the Lord will bring about the reconciliation of his people through his own heart. Any questions? Bless you, sweetie. Any questions? Okay. Let's go on to Romans 8. I'm going to read what Pastor Bender wrote or has in last week's congregation of prayer while you're looking that up. Children are always learning, growing, and maturing as long as they are children. I think she's growing, folks. And I think she's learned a lot. So I guess it's true. You know, Pastor's got it right here. Okay. This is true of us, even as children of God. Just as children learn and grow, even though even through their mistakes and failings, the same is true for us as the children of God. Our status as baptized children of God cannot be overstated. And if you notice in last week's congregation of prayer, he had cannot capitalize. Like he's yelling. Cannot be overstated. Got it? God's promises to be there for us as his, ch his children in the day-to-day -day struggle with sin. We learn from our struggles to rely upon his grace and spirit rather than relying upon ourselves. And in these modern times, the current times, I would say even more so. We, we talk about the people struggling, you know, this disease and, and things of that nature, loss of job, but now we're struggling. We see what's going on in our country, and we see the attacks that's being made on the Christian faith. And uh, what's it really teaching us? This world doesn't hold hope for us, folks. Don't, don't, don't hold out hope on the world. We rely on God, but he has given us through our baptism. As St. Paul catechizes us to rely upon what God has given us in our baptism, he has called us to faith in Christ. He has forgiven us all our sin. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has declared us to be his children. We have access to God through Christ Jesus. To be a debtor means that we owe our life to another, 
As Christians, we do not owe our lives to the sinful flesh, but we owe our lives to the Holy Spirit who has called us to faith by the gospel. To live according to the flesh means that a Christian abandons the call of the gospel and to live and lives by faith in the appetites of his flesh which he follows. The end of this is the death of faith and the spiritual destruction. So to live according to the flesh is to abandon faith. Instead, of, instead the baptized Christian is a debtor to the Holy Spirit. We owe our lives and salvation to him. By the Holy Spirit who constantly calls us to repentance and faith, confession of sins and absolution, we put to death the deeds of the body and we live. We live by the daily renewing power of the absolution of Christ. We live by returning to the Lord as dear children, daily crying out in the midst of our struggles, Abba, Father. And the word Abba is a very intimate term, almost like Daddy. Daddy, Father. We are the children of God. We continue to grow and learn and have our faith strengthened by the ministry of the Spirit. Through the word of promise, the Holy Spirit continues to bear witness with our spirits that we are the children of God and heirs of Christ, even as we suffer under the daily assaults of sin. I think what he wrote is longer than what the reading is. But anyway, let's go to the reading. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the... For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so here, Paul, in the context, uh, he goes on uh, in verse 18. This isn't in the text. Um, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I think just those words conclude, you know, to come after this text. Um, I, I've, you know, we've felt that suffering at various uh, times in our lives. Um, I know when my second daughter was born without her left arm and uh, hand, that was tragic, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, the Lord proved me, oh, well, don't worry. She, she'll, she'll be able to climb trees, and she does. She did climb trees as a child. And, um, and then, uh, many of you know Maggie, she was born with a heart uh, defect and has had two heart surgeries, palate surgery, uh, and, um, you know, wow. And you wonder, and you, and you think about those things and those times in life. And Susan had her stroke uh, six years ago. Um, we think all these things, you know, how we suffer and how the world is suffering. And then we look at uh, some of the people uh, in our society now uh, in, in Minneapolis who lost their homes and businesses to the evil of this world. That's just what it is. It's evil. And you see what's going on in Portland and Seattle 
destroying homes and people's lives. Uh, that's just plain evil. The Christian never prays for that. Never. The Christian uh, doesn't go about. But we suffer, and we see that suffering, and we suffer with them. And, uh, but the thing is, okay, how many, how many of you hurt deeply when you see those things? And it deeply hurts you. Now, it says here in the verse after, but this suffering isn't worth comparing to the glory which shall be revealed. You think this is bad. How great is heaven going to be? That's you know, the glory to come. It's going to be marvelous. But yet we are in this world and we suffer through it. We pray for this world indeed. Uh, we know that Christ has redeemed this world. We pray that those who are uh, apart from Christ will repent and come to Christ uh, in these things. Uh, but uh, there's no comparing. And the other thing in verse 17, if being heirs with Christ, it says here, Paul says, if indeed we suffer with him. That's part of being in Christ, is to suffer. And it's going to be various. For each person, it's different. I cannot say that my suffering is the same as yours, or yours is your spouse's, or whatever it might be. Each of us has a different suffering that we endure but as Christians, this is going to be the life in this world. And uh, because we are in him. And the world hated him. The world sent him to the cross. And he suffered it all willingly. See, the only problem is I, I'm a sinner and I, it's hard to accept that suffering in my own life. And I know for you as well. And so, but, uh, but we are heirs. And the promise we are children of God. And, um, and the struggle we have in this world uh, is a struggle, yet we know that we are in Christ and that he is there with us. What you doing there? She's kind of spitting up now that I'm talking here. Come on, don't, sweetheart. It's all good, all good. <laughs> so any questions on this text from uh, Romans, any comments or thoughts, things that came to your mind as you uh, heard that text? And you're not going to make Joseph run. Okay, man, they're making it easy on you. you know? I don't know. Okay. And then we move on to Matthew 7, I didn't think I was going to get coffee this morning. But in the early service, you heard George was in the hospital, but he had to get out so urgently so he could get my coffee to me. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, whatever, okay. Well, thank you, Kaminsky's. And George, he's doing fine, right? Yeah, okay. Just Larry, don't work him so hard again, okay? Got that, Mr. Mar <laughs> Where's Larry? Oh, back there, okay. Yeah, Larry worked George real hard the other day, so I'll be careful there. Okay. Now, Matthew 7, does anybody know what the context of this reading is? What's happening in this reading? Or where, what's the context? What's the events? What? 
fair or false prophecy. What's the whole? Somebody said it back there. Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so this is the conclusion, the concluding part of the Sermon on the Mount. So just keep that in mind. I mean, that's helpful to keep that in mind as you uh, read this. Um, we don't want to isolate the text, you know, and say, oh, just look at itself, but the whole context of what's going on. Uh, remember, uh, these are people. Who were their teachers in, before Jesus came along? The priests, the, the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees, these were the teachers. That, and so those are, there were false prophets there. And um, what were those false prophets doing to them? Now, and Jesus comes along. And at the conclusion of this uh, reading, uh, in verse 28, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Okay, so uh, they, uh, this is, you know, that they were uh, entrapped by the teaching of the, of the law. Uh, and so here, the reason he's bringing this up now, there's the false prophets, yes, indeed, that are the scribes and Pharisees. And in a sense, I'm going to say they're outside the faith. And there are false prophets also within the church. And this is where we have to uh, be aware that uh, false... Where, the, where does the devil do his work? This is one thing I, got, I had to come across. Where does the devil do his work? Among the people who believe. Yeah, his primary work is among Christians. Because he's already got the world. He doesn't need to tempt the world to steal and kill and break things. They're going to do it on their own. And so his, his efforts are going to be in the church. And this is why we have to be very concerned about what's happening in the church. But also, in our society, we do have great... Our society has a great influence on the churches in our country. Uh, and uh, how uh, some churches have given, are given authority by culture. And uh, yet, even though they are... Church, they're really not church because they've already forsaken the faith um, in many ways. And so we have this, the false prophets are those within the church and those outside the church. That's why at the time of Luther, when he speaks of the Pope as the Antichrist, uh, because the Antichrist has to rise up within the church. I know there are some people today that want to try to talk the government's the Antichrist. Oh, no, no, no. The Antichrist rises up from within the church. And so the Pope, his false teaching was leading people astray. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, so here it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And uh, I'm, I wasn't raised on a farm. I, how many of you had some really farm experience with wild animals? Well, that, weren't you out in Kansas or Nebraska or something like that? Well, that's wild territory anyway. It's kind of... Un, <laughs> so um, some of these images are hard for us, but uh, but you know I look at this you know look how an animal uh, stalks and prays. We had a good cat; she died. We had to put her down here in April. She's tw almost twenty. She's a good hunter, but she was good at getting her prey. She could get flat as could be. I I, I, I mean just like a and just just kind of crawl through the grass, and hardly move. I mean, she was patient as can be. 
And I'm talking, she caught a possum when she was six months old. Uh, she caught a red-winged blackbird when she was a year old. So, I mean, she was, she was good. But she knew how to hunt. She knew what to look for. She was patient. And this is what wolves are patient. And they will look for the weakest one. They'll look for what's lying apart from another because they know that that's what they're going to So wolves are smart in what they do. And so, uh, but their purpose is, what's their purpose? To satisfy themselves. See, this is, the wolf wants to satisfy itself. And so it's ravenous here, the picture. And so, uh, and the image of sheep's clothing, uh, as I was been told, I didn't, I've not been around sheep a lot, that sheep are not the brightest of animals. Uh, does anybody here want to disagree with that? I, I, <laughs> I mean, this is what I've been told by people who have raised uh, sheep. Uh, that, um, and this is why they're easily deceived, but they also are very, uh, like they know the shepherd's voice. You know, they aren't, like they're not, because um, uh, they know that's safety. They know that security is in that voice. But they're also very easily deceived and easily distracted. I, I remember hearing a story, that there's a, a sheep would eat, and it would just stand, that's why they had to move the sheep around, because they'll eat, they just pull up the grass and the roots. And, a sheep could be standing there, and it's near a gully, and it'll just keep stretching its neck and stretching its neck to get the next piece of grass, and eventually it'll just fall in. That uh, it, it, it just, um, it's totally, you know, it doesn't, it's not aware of the dangers around it, really. It doesn't understand, uh, and this is why we have the sheep dogs that will alert them and things like that. And so for a, a wolf to come in sheep's clothing means that it's disguising itself, and the sheep will feel comfortable with that wolf in their midst until the right time, and that wolf will attack. And so, um, there, I mean, the, the sheep, the, there were the sheep, the shepherds, the sheepdogs, all who were there to protect the sheep. But if the, if the wolf, and this is where the false prophets it speaks of, I always said, you know, I'm going to go over here. I have to walk a little bit. Got to get my steps in. <laughs> I go to, I go, Kaminsky's lived near me. I'm knocking the door. And go, I'm the devil. The devil doesn't do that. He doesn't announce himself. He doesn't. He does not announce himself. He um, disguises himself. He tries to, uh, he'll, he's an, he'll disguise himself as an angel of light to make you feel good. So, uh, and this is where we talk about testing the spirits. How do you know if uh, a prophet is a true prophet? Is his word according to the word of God? When the word of God confronts him, does he repent of his sin? And Because, uh, you know, Moses sinned and he got brought to repentance. David sinned and he was brought to repentance. And so um, just because they sinned did not mean they were a false prophet. A false prophet will be tested by the word of God and also test himself against the word of God. Uh, and so this is why you have to be careful. And this is where uh, you as sheep test your pastor. You know, you ask the questions. And you uh, uh, corner, with, what is this? And you ask the questions about the authority of Scripture and uh, where this teaching comes from. And so this is what we do. But also we do it, be careful, those outside the church. Um, and uh, I, I just, it really drives this one thing of the masks. You'll love, your, you're loving your neighbor if you wear the mask. 
I do not like that because it's telling someone how to love. That, you know, love is self-giving. And to tell someone how to love in such a way uh, is, you know, very... Uh, it, and it's not talking about Christ-like love. It's just being, you know... Uh, um, it's, you, I want you to love me this way, because they say it's for, you know, for me. So I want you to love me this way. And say, that's mm, not really what love is, uh, how it's described. And so this whole thing in the world, how it's being described, uh, when I, um, if I would go into the hospital and places like that, I would put a mask on to go visit someone. If they say, you know, they're, they're contagious, or they're, they're susceptible to, you know, you wear it. Uh, uh, and if they say, can you take it off? You take it off because they want to see your face. I, I've done that, too. Uh, you know, what, what they feel comfortable with. But uh, you do these things uh, there. But that, this whole idea of the world telling you how to love. And we see this uh, in uh, the issue with the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa. That they're telling us, this is what it means. You know, this is how you should atone for yourself. And the thing is, the one thing I've noticed, there's never forgiveness in these groups. There's no forgiveness. It's continually, you have to be sorry and sorry and be sad and sorry and sorry. There's never, ever, I forgive you. And I think of the story of Joseph. He was separated from his family for at least a dozen years. I think if you add up the number, it seems like around a dozen. Why? Because his brothers were selfish and, he, and they sold him off to slavery and when he saw them, what did he do before he forgave them? He tested them. He wanted to see, you know, what's going on. He, who are these men now? But he did, but he didn't just, oh, I know you. I'm Joseph. You're in jail. I'm going to get. He didn't do that. He wanted to bring them to repentance. He wanted them to repent, and he forgave them. And he took care of them and their children and the like. Even though they, they abused him greatly. I mean, uh, to send him off into slavery, you know, that is, you know, that. So here we have an example in, you know, in the Bible of this is what it means when you're, you're abused, there's forgiveness. Um, and so, uh, uh, and the Christ, Christ himself was abused by the people and yet he forgives the like. But uh, yeah, this, so this whole concept in our world today, in this, in this societal upheaval, there's no talk of forgiveness. And I think that's an important, that tells us that this movement, these movements are not of God. They are not holy. I mean, just, you know, let's look at, take away all the, the destruction and the violence and the hate that's being propounded. The fact that there's never, ever restoration. There's never forgiveness in all these. Yes? Yeah, and the thing is, and the thing is, I think it probably would have been more well received if it wasn't just forced upon. But you know that there's things like that nature. But uh, yeah, the, the accusatory. And I, uh, anybody that might live in Madison might have a different perspective of all this, uh, how things are going there. Matthew, is it? Do you see that? Is there forgiveness with the, or is it just anger? Oh. <laughs> Except the ones that are out in the streets. Yeah, but the anger that's out there uh, and all. 
And, uh, you know, that brought up another subject for me, the false prophets and the, that, uh, and this how it's even outside the church. When uh, you can have a civil official say that it's wrong for us to gather in the church, but say it's okay for the protest to go on. That, that's just, you, you, that's, that's, that shows they're wrong and they're evil. And uh, this is what's going on in our world today. I think also um, the, the fact that we have members of our congregation, I'm going to use this, who are incarcerated. They are, their pastor cannot visit them in their residence or they cannot leave their residence to come to church. All because they live in a certain community. There's incarceration. And, uh, um, and I just think this is, just, this is part of the evil of what we're facing in our society. And for anyone to say this is good, I, I, I don't believe them. It can't be good. Um, I'm, uh, I'm just I'm thinking of you. How many of you, you know, if you're, if you're hospitalized and you're going to, nope, I have one family member that come to visit me. Chuck, you have how many uh, grandkids? And they want to come and visit in the hospital. It makes your day, right? It would make your day. And to say, no, you can't have I me. Mean, and Susan and I have talked and said, you know, if we ever get sick and they try to tell us, oh, your family doesn't want to come to, to see you. No, it's probably they're, not, they're forbidding your family to come more than anything. Um, maybe in my case, I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> but this is, I mean, the evil in our society. And for any uh, church body to condone these things, I think, calls into question the, what they're teaching. Uh, and I, I know from uh, speaking with Pastor how he hurts, you know, that he can't visit uh, his step own stepmother, uh, long-term members. Uh, I think Ralph got so upset he took Hildy out, you know, that he, and because she was not doing well. And so... Uh, for these, you know, for society to say this is good, uh, we can't listen to those voices. We can't; those are not voices of God. Uh, and then uh, going on, um, oh, it talks about we the, we have an issue with the English here. Uh, it talks about good tree and good fruit and uh, bad tree and bad fruit. Those are actually four different words. Uh, uh, the bad tree is actually an evil, means evil, or corrupted tree. Um, if you ever had a tree that's kind of <laughs> shown its age, uh, it doesn't usually bear fruit. Uh, we had a plum tree in Sharon that was really bad shape, and it didn't do anything. Eventually cut it down. Did we cut it down? I think we cut it down, that plum tree. It was just, but it, the corrupt, or there it produces bad and uh, the good tree is more like a beautiful or uh, that's uh, uh, exceptional will produce uh, the good fruits that are there uh, and then here it says every tree that bears a good fruit uh, a tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down what is this speaking of what's this speaking of judgment there, there will be judgment and who are the ones bringing the bad fruit? The false prophets. Even as Jeremiah says there is judgment against the false prophets, there will be judgment. This, this, the thing is, we may not see it in our lifetimes. 
you know, we may not see the judgment upon the evil in our world. Uh, but if we don't see the judgment of the evil, we will see the glory of heaven. So uh, either way, we win uh, in that. Uh, then, uh, any questions in that first part? Uh, Joe, get over there. Move. You can't talk, Chuck, until he gets the mic over there. I know we can hear you, but... <laughs> I think, too, in the, uh, even in a church, we have, we have too many pastors that look and see their position as a job. And I'm in, I text friends, Lutheran friends, and I began to tell them about, in March, how many services we had in order to accommodate people mm -hmm. to come to church. In surprise, so many of them Yeah, I, I, okay. I just think that I know he's my son-in-law, but at the same time, you ought to really look at what we have here as our shepherd and what he did during that whole time. He made, he made the service available, I mean, to everybody. There wasn't, I mean, mm -hmm. there is. Logical excuse for not being there. I mentioned last, I don't think I mentioned the morning service, but last night, yeah. this is the first time in, since this all broke out that I've conducted and preached and led Bible study on a Sunday morning or Saturday night since this all. He's been taking care of this. Well, and um, I'm, I'm glad he's taking the time. Yeah, uh, right. but, yeah, but he made a sacrifice. Why? Why did he do that? Or as a shepherd, you know, because of you, you know, you Chuck, he knows you need God's word. He knows all of us. He knows we need God's word. Right. And this is where we are, you know, the, the, the sly as serpents, you know, the government said this and I, I truly believe they, and they look, they were successful. Churches did shut down, but no, you said 10 people, we got 10 here, nine here, and we did it. And, uh, 13, 15 services a week uh, to, to do this. And uh, we were getting phone calls. People were calling the church saying, you're having services? Yes. Don't you know? You're not, no, we're following the governor's mandate. There are people that were uh, doing it. And I think pastor's also right. He said that if you shut down, you can't get started again. And I think that's where uh, a big thing that's going on. Um, even though we have members that have not been to church at all or, or received home visits, I'm concerned for them that how are they going to be able to, you know, to, to come back. And pray, for, I would pray for them. Pray for our members who are still living in fear. And, uh, and pray for those who have become complacent. Pray for us here that we 
you know, remain wanting to reach out to them and love them because this is our calling. We can pray for them. Anything else? Uh, uh, Chuck and uh, Polly, I think, had a question back there. I, I still think that these same pastors, when you think not only history and history, but I think some of them, they don't do their job. They don't prepare well like they should. They, they give a minimum amount of time to their so-called profession as a pastor. I've been in congregations where they try to lead a Bible study can't do it very effectively because they don't know the material. They haven't really spent their time at preparation. You know, I can tell you right now that, and again, my son was so hard to talk about. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> it's on. It's being recorded though, so you can. <laughs> Okay. What it means to be a shepherd. Polly had a question back there. Thank you, Chuck. Um, I just wonder, there's sort of a juxtaposition between um, verse 1 and 2 in 7, and then beware of false prophets. And I just wonder if you could elucidate. Oh, it's verse 2, judgment? Yeah. Uh, judge not that you not be... This, it's condemned. You know, we, it's not just a matter of, um, you know, judging, you know, this color or that color or whatever. This is a, a judgment of condemnation. So don't condemn unless you be condemned. For the manner in which you condemn, you will be condemned. And so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's about the judgment of the final judgment, not just, uh, say, you know, someone say, who are you to judge me? Well, that's, you know, they'll throw this passage. That's not what this is talking I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying you need to go to hell. Uh, I am saying that there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a changing. And in this sense, with the false prophets, they're not saying to repent. They're, you know, as um, Jeremiah said, they're saying, do what you want. Go ahead and do what you want. Everything's fine. That's, uh, the judgment there is, no, it's not fine. You need, you know, the God's word is God's word. And so that's, that's where that's, is that helpful? I don't know if it. It's not a condemnation of false prophets. No, no, in, in here, beware of the condemnation. This judgment, you know, calling about you, you judge, don't, you don't condemn someone. Okay. That con condemnation is with the Lord. Okay. But it doesn't mean you can't call sin, sin. I mean, you, that you're just speaking what God, but to say, um, I want you to go to hell? No. I wish no one to go to hell. All these people are destroying our cities. I pray that they repent. But they are wrong in what they are doing. They are sinning against their neighbor. They're sinning against their community and their country. 
this is all sin, but I want them to repent. And so that's, uh, so I'm not condemning them, but I am uh, calling, I would say they need to be called to repentance. Where the false prophets here, um, they, you know, as Chuck mentioned, there's some that, you know, that they're not preparing and prepared and they're not doing their calling. They're just treating it, treating it as a job. Uh, they can be saved, indeed, but it's through repentance. But their work as a pro- false prophet is destroying many lives. Think of the lives that are destroyed out there by some a pastor who's condoning uh, homosexuality. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, it's condoning, uh, there's pastors out there that are condoning abortion. You really, that this is, you know, that, that's wrong. And so, but we call that, uh, we judge their teachings, but we, you know, but the condemnation, the final condemnation is in the Lord's hands. Uh, any, Susan has a question over there. Or comment. Comment. psalm it is but one of them says that the righteous consider it a blessing and receive it when someone comes to them with a word of repentance okay. so that if, if it's judged not lest you be judged because you will be judged with the same judgment you use if that is being yeah. judged by God's word the righteous who are in Christ will accept that when it's hard for them mm-hmm. because it is God's truth. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna add, Chuck, for me, this has been hard being part-time, working 40 to 50 hours a week and trying to get in the time to prepare. It's been a challenge. No, no, no. I, the thing is, but your words, but your words to me, I need to hear them too. Don't forsake it. That make this a priority for me. And I appreciate that. I want you to appreciate it. Okay? But it's, I mean, I, I understand for part-time, but I agree with the ones that are full-time how it's, it's, it's rampant out there. But thank you. <laughs> okay. So where are we at here in time? Uh, we're quarter after. Any other questions? I, um, of this, if not just to wrap it, there are false prophets. But we have our good shepherd who has sent uh, a good shepherd in our midst. I, I'm going to ha- um, uh, add to what Chuck has said with uh, Pastor Bender, uh, the sacrifice he's made over the past few months, and all throughout his ministry here, but especially uh, that uh, the elders have been watching and making sure that he's you know, taking care of himself. Rejoice that you have, that he's been taking the lead in this. Uh, to make sure that our services are held following up on our members uh, and rejoice and pray for him. Uh, I probably don't pray for him as much as I should. Uh, he's been a friend of mine, I, I tell people, for over 40 years now. <laughs> I've known him for over 40 years, and um, uh, I'm thankful uh, for his ministry to me uh, and my family, and I know if we work here. Any other comments, questions? Let us close with the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.